Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. The stories shared on this podcast contain descriptions of varying abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. Hello and welcome to the Preacher Boys podcast. My name is Eric Skorzynski and I am the creator of the upcoming documentary, Preacher Boys. I'm sitting down with brave survivors who are shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent, fundamental Baptist movement. I'm not going to go long with this introduction because I have a long episode ahead, but it's a very important story that I think everybody needs to listen to. Now, the reason I'm bumping this interview, this is, I believe, the seventh interview that I conducted, bumping it to the very front of the release schedule, and that is because of an event that happened this morning. So, the Preacher Boys Twitter account is pretty active, about 140 followers, but nothing that's groundbreaking or or viral, so to speak. But I awoke this morning to discover that Pastor Bill Reeves of North Platte Baptist Church had blocked the uh, Preacher Boys account, both from the church account and from his own personal account. And I thought this was interesting because I actually sat down two days ago with a former member of his church who survived abuse at the hands of Pastor Bill Reeves, North Platte Baptist Church, and a home for troubled boys ran and operated by Pastor Reeves himself. And so I wanted to bump this episode ahead Obviously, this is something that is trying to be swept under the rug. Who knows what else is trying to be swept under the rug by this ministry and this pastor. I wanted you guys to be able to hear Paul Johnson's story. He was brave enough to share things that happened to him in several ministries, but uh, Bill Reeves and North Platte Baptist Church make up a large portion of that story. And so I want that to be heard by everyone listening. I don't want to keep his story waiting any longer, so I'm going to go ahead and go right into the episode. I never really interacted with other ex-IFB folks that much okay. until until I started to discover a community on Facebook <laughs> and even a sort of a for, former IFB community on Twitter. Right. And one thing that I've observed with a lot of them is that they don't really like to share their story, at least not on social media, because mm-hmm. mainly because they're afraid of being sued. And uh, even then, like I got one lady, I won't mention her name, that she went to the College of pastories of the guy I told you about and uh she still is yet to really open up to me tell her her story tell me her story because they just I guess they feel really embarrassed and they're afraid and all that but I'm a totally opposite I've always spoken out since day one even when I was in it I spoke out 
and yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that was me as well. Yeah. That was the the call I just did. I was like, my problem was I wouldn't fall in line. I had to ask why this, why that, why this, yeah. why that. That's stupid. Why are we doing that? So, oh, yeah. so and, uh, right on. So uh, I guess what I think the biggest thing that's really helped me from my experience is the fact that I have Asperger syndrome, okay. and uh, it's like a form of autism. And it's a lot of people think that that means you're slow or something, but what it really means is that I'm my brain just works a thousand times faster, and we yeah. tend to yeah we 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 don't get social cues very well, but also we're a lot more sensitive in our nervous system. Like like uh, I hear things better, I taste things better, I see things better. It's kind of weird, but because of that, I have a more of a, an awareness of what's going on around me. Not socially, but just everything else. So it, that causes me to ask why, you know. And but uh, I think the the but the, to get back to your first question though, about how it all started is that uh, I think it really had to start with my family. When I, we my family started going to an IFB church, Cornerstone, and I'm not afraid to name names either. <laughs> I don't, I'm not afraid of getting yeah. sued. I'll go to jail to say this stuff. I don't care. But mm. but I started my family started going to Cornerstone Baptist Church, Greater Denver. Uh, pastor by Pastor Alley, who graduated from Miles Anderson College. Pastor Roger D. Alley. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm a sure I name names. <laughs> and uh, I, it's sort of a love-hate relationship with him because of one, one, it's like I've always respected him because he spent several years in the Navy. And then, oh, well, he spent a long time in the Navy and then a long time in the Coast Guard. And right. most of the time I was at the church, he was part-time Coast Guard. And I have a lot of respect for my veterans. So that aspect about Pastor Alley, I absolutely respect about him. But everything else, he's, I don't really respect much. Right. But, but my family was a very cliche, broken home. Dad's a drunk and on, does drugs and stuff. My mom's trying to make something out of herself, going to nursing school and stuff. And she's a retired RN now. And okay. uh, I mean, uh, I watched... I mean, we went from being in the projects to being in a real house because my mom just worked on her butt off and take care of the family and stuff. And then in a way, raising my dad and <laughs> they, but so our house, our household was always in chaos and right. uh, my dad's always coming home drunk or whatever. And he's a very, he was a very, very good welder, but he just couldn't hold a job because of his record and not been shown up to work drunk. And so our, our household needed order and what attracted our family to the IFB crowd, at least to that specific church is that at the time there was no other IFB church that we knew of. And uh, that church was different for us because it kind of gave us order. And uh, I didn't like it from the beginning because, because of me being raised with a dad who's a drunk and a drug addict and sort of a con man, I was able to see through people's uh, BS a lot easier hmm. and just naturally it's just something you an ability you develop naturally when you're in the, that environment and uh, so I, I knew from the get-go that Pastor Alley is full of crap and uh, hmm. that the whole belief system was full it was nonsense and I from an early age I've always questioned the existence of God and I'm the kind of person though that even though I don't believe in God now that if I ever find out that he is real I'd be just as excited as if I found out he wasn't real because right. either way that's a huge discovery you know but, uh, but yeah, so we was in it and I was already dysfunctional and kind of a rebellious person anyway, because I was a kid who was acting out sort of in protest of my dad being, uh, an a-hole and <laughs> my mom not doing nothing about it. And so right. I already had an attitude problem 
and I already had an authority problem because of that, because anyone I saw in authority were either trying to use me or just neglect me or whatever. So right. I, from early age, I just never trusted anyone. And uh, that kind of behavior bled into the uh, church because since it's a normal IFB church, they're always doing things Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, yeah. soul winning. Also every like uh, Thursday nights they had soul winning. Friday nights they would go into the streets of downtown Denver and do uh, street preaching. Hmm. If uh, you're familiar with that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and uh, then we would do more soul winning on Saturday, which is like a mixture of soul winning and following up on visitors, you know. Yeah. Uh, I was, I started doing the whole soul winning and street preaching thing at nine years old. And uh, like actually yeah. speaking or just yeah, going like, in it? Yeah, I, I preached on a street corner for the first time when I was nine years old and was wow. soul winning for the first time when I was nine as well. As a matter of fact, the first day I ever went knocking on doors, I was uh, Pastor Ali's silent partner. And uh, mm-hmm. you, know, you know that thing, yeah. you're a silent partner for a while. I'm all too familiar with that, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I mean, I, I got soul winner tattooed on my arm because uh, <laughs> that's a long story. Not while but, you were attending, I'm assuming. Yeah, and I got really good at it. But the thing is, is I never really believed in it. It was just something right. I was pushed into. It was either you either go to church, you either go to church or get spanked, or you yeah. go somewhere or get spanked. You start preaching on the street corner or you're a coward. And uh, so huh. I was always pushed into it. And there was, and what happened is that since I pushed back naturally, because I'm like, why this, why that? This doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You know? And then it's only a matter of time before I start reading books on science. And, be, and then I'd be asking, I was like, I like, I like a preacher. I'm like, have you ever seen a talking snake? I've never seen a talking snake. Snakes don't have larynxes. <laughs> you know, they can't talk, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I was just like that throughout the whole Bible. And it's, and I also was like, why did God kill like a whole bunch of kids just for making bald jokes at this one preacher in the old Testament? He's like, why would I got to kill some, kill a bunch of kids over bald jokes? You know, it, uh, I was always like that. And that always got me in trouble. So I was always getting spanked for something. And mm-hmm. I, let's see, but yeah, so naturally I was always treated as an outcast, you know, and you know how in IFB churches, everything revolves around social status. Right. And the uh, thing is with my Asperger's, I didn't understand that. All I saw was the double standards, but I didn't understand why. I didn't understand the concept of social status. So you, you understood that you could clearly see the wrong, but you didn't understand the, the motivation behind what they were doing. You, yeah, exactly. You thought they were doing something that was wrong. Right. And they would keep telling me that it's because uh, the Bible says so, whatever. And uh, it's like, then they talk about, they teach things about, but I was the kind of person that even though I wasn't interested in Christianity, I actually read the Bible and that kind of armed me (laughs) because I mean, they preach against things like, you know, not having any music with a beat that makes you dance. And then I would be the one rebellious kid that would be like, yeah, well, Bible says David danced hard before the Lord right here. You know, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so it's like, yeah, it, it's, it was like that the whole time. And then eventually Pastor, Pastor Alley's church, they started off in holding their services in uh, their house. But then it grew to the point where they started renting out a building. And then that led to them actually financing a, a church, a church building. Right. And they eventually paid it off. And uh, they've had that church building ever since. 345 South Mead Street, <laughs> Denver, Colorado. <laughs> but uh <laughs> What's the yeah, phone number? But, no, just kidding. Oh, but, uh, uh, 
no, 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 no. That's someone else's number. Crap. You, he, <laughs> I can't remember their number. No, 936-9040. That's their number. Holy moly. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, oh, crap. The other number was my sister's number. <laughs> I'll, I'll block that uh, one out. Really uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, You're going to get a bunch of angry calls. Like, what did I do? But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there was there was no honeymoon period for you then. It was pretty much oh. you went in and it was, I hate this. <laughs> pretty well. I kind of manufactured several honeymoon periods. If I'm okay. thinking what you're thinking, there was a few times where I just got the the way that Pastor Ali and the church leadership and the church leadership was basically his family. Right. It, it was basically a dynasty, you know. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, I think his son is an associate pastor or something now at the church. I can't remember. But he, the way they responded with me acting out is that they just interpreted it as me being rebellious. But when I tried to explain to them why they wouldn't listen, and the way they responded was uh, spanking me and publicly humiliating me a lot. Mm. And uh, the reason that a lot of the public humiliation is, is because of Pastor Ali's military background. Because in the right. military, you publicly take care of whatever problem you have with a certain soldier, at least... That's what's been told to me by a lot of veterans. And so whenever Pastor Ali had a problem with me, he would always do it in front of everyone in the middle of the service. If I, wow. There was time when I didn't so much as clap to the clap to whatever song exactly like everyone else. He would stop and he would humiliate me in front of everyone. Jeez. It was crazy. And he was so focused on dominating me. It was, And I got endless horror stories on that. But Was he like that uh, with anyone else or were you kind of the because you questioned you were the main one that kind of felt the brunt of that because i well also too you understand that uh, this was the 1990s and um, Mm. 1990s not very many people understood much about autism and uh when when i was diagnosed with asperger's syndrome which explained a lot of my out out of the box behaviors and uh my whole attitude problem just made my asperger's worse but it's like he he just interpreted all his as uh, I didn't have a disability or anything, I just needed I just needed discipline. And uh, so what happened is that well, there was a lot of things I did out of place that caused him to single me out more. And it was a combination of my Asperger's and my rebelliousness. But my rebelliousness was just because none of it made sense to me. <laughs> right. And, uh, and um, my autism just sort of made my rebelliousness worse. And so I was the, I guess you could say I was the, uh, token Bart Simpson of the church the whole time I was there. Right. And, uh, but yeah, and you, they was always like, there'd be like a whole bunch of kids misbehaving in a room and I would be the one he'd single out. Right. And, uh, he, uh, would always just find some way to embarrass me or whatever. And it got to the point that one time, like in my late teens, when I was about ready to find a way out of the church that the whole congregation stood up on a Wednesday night service that I managed to skip. Uh, and, uh, called him out on it but it didn't change anything mm. and but i remember one lady and i'll mention her name her name is megan nielsen she actually stood up and told pastor ali that he destroyed me because because of all the stuff he put me through it made me so bitter towards christianity that there was no chance that i would ever really be a christian in the long run and she called him out on it she even broke down and cried during right. that Wednesday night service and i think that was the first time anyone ever really stood up for me and, and uh, megan never really liked me but she just saw that it was wrong and she called it out and right and, but but yeah, as far as me manufacturing honeymoon periods, what I did is that every now and then I got, I got tired of being spanked and humiliated constantly so much that I would fake conversions. And wow. I think I got saved about 
three or four times staying there because what I do is I would act like I get saved and then I get baptized and and then there was like all of a sudden that there was like sort of like honeymoon phase that I think about it everyone's nice to me not being singled out as much but then sooner or later I just I just couldn't stand living a lot and uh so after a while I'd be like no I don't believe in any of this stuff and I go back to just trying to be myself but then then I was put in and because of the social status structure there I was immediately put back in the rebellious child category and then treated accordingly right. and uh, but they did eventually start their own school called Denver Baptist Schools okay and they it was I like, think that's what I was about to ask you about because I know yeah. I know you sent your story over I was curious about yeah with the so so this the the spankings and stuff was literally church administered this wasn't even getting into the school yet Oh uh, no, the spankings was made mostly by my parents up until oh, okay. up until the school. Okay, that's when I started getting spanked by Pastor Ellie. But it was a it was a demerit system, and uh, the the rule was like five swats for every twenty five demerits. Okay, and uh, then like fifty swats if you did something really bad, like I don't know, fifty like, swats. Uh, yeah, for something that they would consider really bad, like something that really bad that only a kid would do, you know, like a kid would like moon another kid or something and, you know, and, uh, or right. maybe cuss someone out, then that, that was an automatic 50 demerits. And then that would mean, uh, 10 swats. I, yeah, I meant to say 50 demerits, not 50 swats. Uh, okay. That. Oh, okay. It, yeah. It, it, but uh, still not better. I mean, that's, it's oh, still, no. yeah. Right. It, but I did get spanked a lot and rack up a lot of demerits on a regular basis because there was, uh, I would constantly be accused of lying. Uh, right. And that, that was the biggest thing that caused me to get so many demerits and spanked a lot is that they, I would say something, they would ask me something like the teacher, which is normally uh, Pastor Alley's wife, Ruth Alley, and uh, where I would say something and then they say I'm lying. And then mm. I'd be like, and then they would automatically give me 25 demerits. That's five swats. And then I'd be like, and then I would say, no, I'm not lying. And then that would automatically be another, another lie. Yeah. And then, and then they keep racking up the demerits until I would just get all these spankings. So a lot of times it, there was a constant cycle of me being accused of something I wasn't guilty of, me standing up for myself, me being punished for standing up for myself, and punished to the point to where I finally just give in and tell them I'm guilty even though I'm not, just so that I, they'd stop spanking me. And, right. But then I would have to deal with the humiliation of, oh, man, you were so bad. We had to do all this just to get you to behave, you know. No. And uh, at first it was me misbehaving on my own, but it was because of me being mad at my dad for being a drunk and me being mad at all the stuff that didn't make sense at the church. You know, right. like we couldn't even have a Christmas tree during mm. Christmas because yeah. of its root to pa roots to paganism. We couldn't even have a jack-o'-lantern. So it's like yeah. everyone else in the neighborhood gets to have jack-o'-lanterns and go trick-or-treating, but I couldn't do it. You know, it was like, and I was basically not being allowed to do so many things that I couldn't really do much of anything other than just sit around inside my house. There was just so many rules. So the only way that I could have any fun at all was to break rules, you know? And it's like, I would have to break rules just to go to the park or something. What, and, what age yeah. is this? What, what age were um, you in the school? Let's see. I think the last time I was in public school, I was in fourth grade. So it was fifth grade or sixth grade when I started going to Denver Baptist schools. Jeez. Yeah. So, so uh, you were, so you were a teenager yeah. basically. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and this went on till you graduated. 
presumably? Uh, no, um, or no, I didn't not to jump ahead in your story, but oh yeah, I well, what happened is that there was like this domino effect that happened is that the more that they accused me of things I wasn't guilty of and spanked me accordingly and everything, I finally got to a point where I stopped giving in, and uh, I was like, no, I'm gonna stand up for myself no matter how much trouble I get in. And it got to the point to where I racked up so many demerits that they had a rule that if you rack up X amount of demerits within a few months, then they have to expel you. Hmm. And I racked it up so quickly. And mostly it was from things I wasn't even guilty of that, that I had about 200, I had 200 demerits. And uh, my mom uh, begged Pastor Allie to not expel me because she didn't know what else to do with me. And so Pastor Ali made a deal with her that if he just gave me a swap for every demerit, they will just call it a day. And how many demerits was it? You said 200? Yeah. Okay. And uh, there was other times where it was like 300 demerits or 400 demerits. And I would get as many swats after that too. And, uh, but it started off with Pastor Ali spanking us with uh, a paint stick that broke. So he started strapping them together with rubber bands that broke. And then he moved on to a one by four and I eventually broke that. And I actually kind of, at the time, whenever I broke a paddle, I just kind of viewed it as like a mark of pride. I'd like brag to us. Yeah, I just broke another paddle, you know, because at the time I just had, I just started enjoying being mischievous and everything. So I figured at the time that if they was going to make me the bad guy, no matter what, I might as well embrace it. So I embraced it and and I was the bad boy for a while and, but finally, Pastor Ali figured out that if he was to tightly wrap a one by four with plastic wrap, with several, several layers, probably like half a dozen layers, that, that the thing would just be nine indestructible. <laughs> and uh, so he, he's used that one by four ever since. And uh, it's just, it's just freaking that, torture. Yeah. So that's, that's and, what it was. And the uh, thing is, is that when I, when he gave me the first time I got uh, like 200 swats at once, you understand this guy's ex-military, so he's got pretty good stamina. He, d- he still mm-hmm. takes care of himself, not just exercise-wise, but health-wise. I mean, despite all his flaws, he's probably the best guy to go to for diet advice, even to this day. <laughs> but he, he, he had this conference table in his uh, conference room mm-hmm. that was probably about maybe six feet long, about four feet wide. And he would stretch me out across the, the table and had one of the men in the church uh, sometimes two of the men in the church hold me down on the other side by the wrist as he gave me the 200 swats. But usually by like swat 50 or swat 60, he had to stop just to catch his breath. And then he continue on. And when that, when he did that to me the first time, I mean, I'm sure you've seen, you know, it's like when you get spanked pretty bad, you know, you get red, you get bloody, you know, but I was so damaged from it that my butt was black and bloody. It was just straight up. There was no blue, green or other, typical colors you see in bruising my whole butt was just black and bleeding and I, I I'm no doctor but I do describe my healing process as I spent a month out of school because I couldn't even sleep on my back I had to sleep on my belly which was awkward for me at the time because I've always been kind of chubby mm-hmm. and I I felt like I had the flu for about a month because I, it was such a shock to my body that mm-hmm. I was constantly like being dizzy and having bad sinus issues of throwing up. I was just really sick for the, to the point that I was bedridden for a month mm. and they, my mom had to come in and put some kind of oil on my butt just so it could heal up a little bit. Did she, and, uh, did she express any concern 
like or, or why did they do this or was she backing them or what was that relationship i'm not sure what it was from her perspective but from my perspective she was just blindly following the preacher she just kind of let uh the preacher do his thinking for her so she didn't and confront that, him at all regarding it no and pastor ali actually felt <laughs> guilty after he did that to me for the first time and he's like man i'm never spanking someone that that way ever again you know and he he actually apologized to my mom and he was actually he seemed to be more concerned about going to jail than anything yeah i was gonna and say was he was he really concerned or was he concerned that would be the breaking point that got him in trouble well he may well there's two there's two answers to that and mm -hmm. this is just my own opinion yeah that he was kind of kissing my mom's ass and acting like he was really sorry to try to convince her not call the cops on me right he's afraid that she was going to do that but she had no inkling of doing that at all but he was uh, just covering his bases. Yeah. And, uh, but I know Pastor Alley. I, I spent a long time, years getting known. I knew what was going on. He was just covering his, head, covering what, his ass. What, what about that? What about the deacons and stuff? Like, yeah. Did they express oh, uh, anything or? Well, the way he ran his church is that there were no deacons. It was just him and his family running the church. Or the guys that yeah. were in the conference room, they were, were they teachers then? Oh, no. They were just. Uh, men who happened to be members of the church. And they but, were uh, involved in the school discipline process. Yeah, and uh, Pastor Ellie's excuse for never having any deacons is that he didn't think there, there was anyone qualified. I guess no one was holy enough or something, I think. But right. uh, the reality is I don't think he wanted to share control. You know, tyrants don't share control. Yeah. But yeah. I think one of the reasons he was able to get away with that is that this wasn't a church that he was voted into. This was a church that he started from scratch. No. Yeah. And usually pastors like that tend to have more control over their church than, than a pastor who's been voted in. Yeah, because people bought into him more than they did the, the church. Oh, yeah. Especially since uh, a lot of uh, huge chunk of uh, the men and stuff were the same members when he was, when it was a church in his house, you know, so yeah. invested in this. And uh, It was truly a family in a, in a sick, twisted yeah. way. Yeah. And so they all followed him no matter what. But there was... Uh, from what I remember, there was at least one other time that he spanked me that bad. But what he did is that he still let me get demerits, get swats for every demerit for a while. But what he did is that instead of giving it to me all at once, he would just do like 10 swats a day, you know, until it's over. And he, uh, but he did that thing to me uh, twice when I can remember. And then the rest of the times, he never really did more than 10 or 15 swats at a time after that. But what happened is that whenever he owed me like a hundred swats and he divided it all into that, that's when uh, my creative mind got in there and I started wearing like several layers of underwear. Cause you knew it was coming every day. Yeah. And there were even times where I took a uh, fellowship track with gospel tracks and I stuck them in my underwear <laughs> so that he wouldn't know. And so whenever I got the swats, most of the time I didn't even feel them after that. I just mm -hmm. acted like it hurt. And, uh, but the whole time that uh, like his, his office where he would spank me at, there was uh it was at the end of a hallway in the basement of the church and there were rooms in the basement one of them being a nursery the rest of them being classrooms and the kids would hear the swats from down the hallway because it echoed so loud and they would hear me scream whenever i got those large amounts of swats because there were other times aside from the two times where he spent me to the point of being being bedridden i mean bedridden 
that, that I would get like 25 or 50 at a time. And that happened so many times. I don't remember how many times that happened, but every time, you know, it was by that one by four and I was just a kid. So it hurt. And I was always screaming at the top of my lungs. So it hurt as an it adult. Was, it's not. Yeah. 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 And, uh, but the kids, they were so brainwashed into falling the pastures lead too, that they was always laugh at me and they could always tell who, who was getting spanked by how many swats that they can hear. And there was only one other guy that I know of that got spanked close to as much as I was. And, and uh, that, that guy's name is Michael Nielsen. And he, there were times where he got 30 or 40 at a time and everything. And there was like this game the kids played where they would stop everything they're doing to listen to the swats so they can count them so they could figure out it was either me or Michael. Hmm. And uh, Michael was very misbehaving, very mischievous too, but I'm sure he had his own reasons. I don't know what they were because I never really got to know him personally, but he, I think it was just a kid who didn't care and saw everyone was full of it and everything. And, but he, and once, once they heard like 30, they're like, okay, that must be Michael. And then they hear 40 Michael and they hear 50, oh, that must be Michael. And then once they hear 60 or 70 swats, they'll look at each other laugh and be like, it's all, you know, because mm. it happened so often that it was routine. And, and, but that was just, Another day in the life at Cornerstone Baptist Church of Greater Denver, 345 South Mead Street. <laughs> and it, and is know. he just, I'm just yeah. curious, is he still the pastor there? Oh, absolutely. And uh, so everybody write down that address and send a postcard to, to the church. Now, here's the thing. Because of how mischievous I was and how I tried to lie my way out of situations sometimes because I just knew that you know, whether I behave or misbehave, it spank me anyways. I didn't care how I behaved. If anyone ever confronts Pastor Alley about this, he can very easily point out many people in the church who knew me when I was a kid, and they could all tell you how I was rebellious and stuff, and that I lied a lot, so therefore that you can't believe my testimony on what happened. Right. And they, in other words, they, you know how the pastor, you know how pastors yeah. are when they get accused of something, the first thing they do is they'll try to discredit the victim. Right. And, uh, have you so had that experience? Have you had that experience since leaving and sharing your story? Have you had any kind of like him commenting to someone that oh you can't trust him or you can't you know why would you take his word for it or oh yeah he had people mistrust me so much in the church that like when I was in my I don't know seventeen or something when there be someone just has a baby you, you know I'd like hey can I hold your baby or whatever and they wouldn't trust me because they was afraid that I would mm. like throw the baby or something. And, but it's just, that's just how it was. And, but from their perspective, they thought that I got right with God. And then I went back into rebellion and stuff that I backslid. What was really going on is I was faking conversions every now and then just to get them to stop, just to get a break from being spanked and humiliated so many times. Right. And then, but what happened is that by the time I was 14 was when I think I got expelled for a second time from the church okay. and no, no, I was 15. And from 15 to age 15 to age 16, they had me go to a, another private Baptist school that, that was actually, it was a Baptist school, but it wasn't an independent formal Baptist school. Mm-hmm. They were more laid back. They had more of a, a non-denominational vibe to them, okay. but they call themselves Baptists. And it's a Baptist church. It's Baptist school on Sheridan. Anyone who lives in Denver knows what I'm talking about. And the teachers there, they were nice to me. I didn't have, I didn't get spanked for anything and, and stuff. And it was like a perfect school and I could have gotten a good education, but I was just so traumatized from what I went through at Denver Baptist schools that I didn't care about anything. And I literally got constant zeros 
on all my grades because I just wouldn't do anything. And, and uh, so I was only there for a semester and then I, I was out and then my mom had me go to this another Baptist school and uh, that Baptist school, it was uh, part of Mile High Baptist Church. That's another IFB church. And uh, there they, I didn't get spanked a lot. I didn't get in trouble a lot over there, but I still got in trouble. Actually, yes, I did get in trouble a lot anyway, but over there I was actually trying to get good grades and actually trying to follow the rules because the teachers there and everything, they were nice to me and everything. But they she had, had more group. motivation to kind of yeah. do it. Yeah, and it's like I already spent a whole semester not doing anything. I'm like, you know what? I want to get an education. So I went there, and uh, but I had a – they have this weird dress code rule where you had to wear these specific dress uniforms. Okay. But it was like different – it was you had to wear certain types of uniforms for certain types of days. Like Tuesdays you had to wear something – specific like a shirt color and pants color whatever and i i kept getting them mixed up because i i was carpool uh there with another student every morning and it would be like halfway to the school i'd be like oh no i'm wearing the wrong clothes for the wrong day and then they would start treating me as if i'm rebellious all because i accidentally wore the wrong clothes on the wrong day and that happened consistently because it was just it had so many rules it was confusing and so even when i was trying to behave and trying to do the right thing I still ultimately ended up being treated like a rebellious person there. Right. And, uh, but then I had a couple problems, but I had a couple bullies that were trying to push me around. And by then I was like, I'm not going to let him push me around anyway. So I started getting into fights and mm-hmm. uh, there was even one kid that was trying to, when I started riding the bus to the school, like, like a public transportation bus, Denver is called RTD. And, uh, but they're like some of the students, which like this one student would try to pick a fight with me. And, but then I reach in my backpack and I pull out a knife this long. I'll be like, all right, come on, bro. Let's see what you got. <laughs> and, uh, that's just how I was. And I eventually got expelled from school because of that knife. And uh, I have no idea why that knife was that long. It was just a kitchen knife that was at home that I found. And uh, it looked like it would be a good weapon. It is, uh, I mean, because of how small it was at the time, to me, it looked like a sword. Yeah. <laughs> and uh <laughs> But uh, I eventually got expelled from that school for getting in a lot of fights. But by then, my mom finally gave up trying to get me to go to school and then start homeschooling me. And then when mm-hmm. I was at home school, there was no accountability at all. So I didn't study anything. And then I started, I started finding ways of making my own money. Like I shoveled walks when it snowed and mowed grass when, during the summer. And I started taking that money and I started really loving going to a movie theater. And that's a huge no-no in IFB. Yeah. And finally, I got to, and I, I would always use my own money to go to the movie theater. You know, I earned it, worked for it. And, but finally, it got to a point where my mom told me if she ever caught me going to the movie theater one more time, she'll throw me in a boys' home. And so I got, I eventually got thrown in a boys' home at like right when I was like just a few days after I turned 16, I think. And what happened is that I faked another conversion to try to get them off my back. But then three days later, it's like there was, Ice Age was coming out, the original one. I really wanted to go see it. And also Scorpion King came out, you know, with The Rock. And it, <laughs> I wanted to watch those movies. So <laughs> I went out and I watched Ice Age and Scorpion King with my own money that the I made. Scorpion King is worth it, man. It's worth the yeah. risk. <laughs> yeah. And I, at the time, I was working in a, since I was 16, I was working in a uh, furniture factory where you would make like uh, bed frames and stuff out of logs. And that's where I got my money from. And I only worked there for about a month. And that's what I was using to go to movie theater. And when my mom found out that I went to a movie theater, she didn't care that it was just Ice Age. She didn't even know about Scorpion King. And uh, I was 
So three days after I got saved again, <laughs> I got thrown into a boys home for, and that's where the for going to a movie and stuff. Yeah. And, oh man, I, I just got on a lot of rabbit trails. There were some questions yet in my bed, man. No, it's okay. And, yeah. and I, w- I wanted to hear your story and you're answering a lot of the questions I would ask um, going through it. So you can, yeah, you can just go ahead and go right into the, the boys home and keep, keep going through the timeline. And then I yeah. can ask some follow-ups as we, as we go. Oh, okay. Well, the, one of the boys home, the boys home was called Prairie Dog Baptist Boys Home. And it was a ministry under a church called Prairie Dog Baptist Church. And the pastor's name was Pastor William Reeves, also known as Bill Reeves. And uh, was, it, was your, wasn't the first pastor's name Reeves as well? Oh, no. The first pastor's name is Pastor Alley. Alley, okay. Uh, Never mind. Yeah. And this other pastor, his name was Pastor William Reeves, but everyone called him Bill Reeves. Bill Reeves. And he was like 100 times worse than Pastor Alley. Hmm. He was such a, you know how you, you meet some Muslims and they're really peaceful, they're easy to get along with, they're just overall nice people. Right. And then you meet other Muslims that strap bombs to their chest. <laughs> you know, this was like a strap a bomb to the chest type of IFB. Huh. He was such a zealot that he got kicked out of Hiles Anderson College for getting in a fist fight with Bill Ray. And I don't know if you remember who. Uh, I don't no, know not, Bill. Uh, Ray Young. He, I don't know what he's doing now. I don't know if he's still alive, but when I was a kid, he was over the bus ministry of First Baptist Church. He's the vice chancellor of Piles Anderson. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I heard that he retired from that, did something else. That's probably what he's doing now. Hmm. But uh, he, yeah, he, he, because he was working in the bus ministry at Piles Anderson College and he got in a fist fight with Ray Young. And uh, Jack Hiles actually made Ray Young go apologize to Pastor Reeves over it. At least that's the story I got from Pastor Reeves. So right. I, I know. now there's another Pastor Reeves in Carbondale, Colorado, and he is actually a very decent guy. He's a good guy. And okay. uh, so I don't want anyone who watches this to get confused. confused with uh, Pastor Reeves from Carbondale because that guy is an awesome guy. I've never had any issues with him. And he's, I don't know, he's, I mean, sure, he's got a lot of strict standards like any other IFP pastor, but he's one of the few IFP pastors I ever met that I, he didn't seem to be full of, he seemed like to just be a normal dude, but, but Bill Reeves, man, he, as far as like spanking and humiliations, it was the same thing that Pastor Alley put me through, but like a hundred times worse. Mm. And he, he started off with a one by four, I think, uh, or it was a ping pong battle. I can't remember, but I remember that uh, we kept breaking him. So he moved on to a two by four or a one by four, one of those two. And we kept breaking that because it was me and three other boys in the boys home. Mm-hmm. And I do want to name these boys by name because I've been trying to find them for years so okay. I can get their stories. And uh, one, his name is uh, Dave King, uh, and he was from Georgia. But he's also known as Sean King because Sean is his, either Sean or Dave is his adopted name. But So I think, yes, he's either called Dave King or Sean King, but we've always called him Dave. Then there's another guy who's from Michigan. His name is John Lemon. Uh, I'm looking for him and he's, uh, and there was another guy named Josh Welch and all these guys and uh, see, so yeah, it was those three guys and me that were in the boys home and at least majority of time I was there and they were all there because they were, I, I guess they were sent to the boys home because it was the last step before sending them off to, uh, whatever kind of jail you send kids to to break crimes. Right. 
that's the kind of that's the kind of people they were except except for uh, one of them did commit something that I did commit a certain crime that I won't repeat but it was just it's something that's worthy of him going to prison and uh, the deal was for him to go to this boys home and just just stay there and he's from Illinois or Indiana one of the two mm-hmm. but uh, I'm not going to say which one that is just out of respect for him but they but yeah there finally got to a point where we broke so many paddles and it was a constant thing of being accused of something we weren't guilty of saying we're innocent, trying to explain we're innocent, getting spanked even more for it, that we just broke paddles on a regular basis. And finally, Pastor Reeves said to John Lemon and Dave King, he says, go into the, go into, uh, the building over there where uh, he was building like a barracks to expand the boys' home, to have a higher uh-huh. the boys. And uh, so there was a lot of lumber there, a lot of tools to make stuff. And he told Dave King and John Lemon to go, and he says, make me a paddle that will not break. So they went in there, and a couple hours later, they came back with a two-by-six that uh, was about the size of a cricket uh, stick, you know, where people like right. cricket. And they used a grinder to grind out a handle where you could swing it like a baseball bat. And they also had, like, I th- what I think at the time were, like, quarter-inch holes drilled into the paddle. And uh, this thing was very heavy. And pastories used it to spank me and someone else who were in trouble about something. And he loved the paddle so much that in response to how well it worked, that he looked at the paddle and said, man, I love this paddle. I love it so much. I'm going to name it. I'm going to call it Bertha. Hmm. And uh, every time when someone needed to get spanked, uh, he'd be like, where's Bertha? And it would be leaning up and we tell him where it's at. And uh, that paddle was the most devastating thing I've ever gotten spanked. And I, I, even to this day, I can tell you exactly what kind of damage it will do to you per SWAT. Like, like five SWATs, you're red and you're sore for a day or two. Ten SWATs, you're really red and you're bruised and that'll take about a week to heal from. Twenty SWATs, you're already starting to bleed. Thirty SWATs was the equivalent. But here's the thing, though. If we ever got to a point where he would give us, like, more than 20 SWATs, he would make us stretch out across the bed. And Pastor Reeves at the time was very, very obese. He was like Job of the Hut fat. Right. And he he had to have been about four or five hundred pounds. And I don't know where he got his dress clothes at, but he, you know, like any IFB preacher, he's always in, in dress clothes. And uh, mm-hmm. he what he would do is he'd make us stretch out across the full size bed. And then he would he would like swing down like this. But he would like uh, chopping, jump. basically. Yeah, and kind of you know, combine everything to make the hardest swap possible. And at that point, I remember when he did that for the first time, he gave me 30 swats from Bertha. And keep in mind, this is a two by six. Right. And uh, I know for a fact it's two by six. And uh, you don't forget the dimensions of something like that. And uh, 30 swats was from him do using that technique was the equivalent of the amount of damage I got of 200 swats from the one by four I got from Pastor Alley. Wow. And, uh, that was I was immediately black and bloody, and uh, I was sick going through it. But he wouldn't let me be bedridden while going through the healing process. He forced me to go about my daily routine despite how sick I was and that I couldn't even sit down. So I'd actually have to sit down for the month. For a month, I had to sit down on the back of my thighs instead of on my butt, and it was just bad. And there'd be times where, because of me being forced to sit down and stuff, the scabs would break, and uh, the back of my underwear would stick would get sticky and every time I take my underwear off, I'm ripping all the scabs off again. And uh, that happened. Now that the the damage I got from pastorality like that only happened twice. 
ever right. since he did like up to 50 swats at a time the most. But Pastor Reeves, he was proud of the damage he did to me. And uh, like, I remember the day that he did that the first time, uh, Pastor Reeves gathered support to fund his boys home the same way that Lester Roloff did, if you remember learning about Lester Roloff. I haven't heard about his boys home. I'm familiar with the name Lester Roloff, but not not with any of his uh, ministries. Well, back when Jack Hiles was in his prime, probably in his 20s or 30s, you know how he traveled around the country a lot, and he was like he was like a he was like a pastor, but he also kind of did the job of the man. Yeah, he was like the the guy to book. Yeah, but there was a lot of other guys he preached along with, like Robert E. Lee, and one of them was Lester Roloff. And Lester Roloff, what he did, he had a a huge boys homes that he that he did and he basically always took like a group of boys or a group of girls because he also had girls homes and he would have them go around and sing and tell their testimonies about how they're being rehabilitated using god's word blah 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 and, and stuff and pastor reeves did the same thing with us boys and he made us go and he made us form a quartet and uh few of us had guitars. I had a guitar at the time, but I never learned to play my guitar because he would never let me play it. So he'd always let someone else play the guitar. And we were forced to give our testimonies according to his approval of how the boys' home is making us better when we all know it's all bull crap, that, it, that every day it's just survival for us. Right. But we would lie and say how much it's making us better every time we go somewhere. And he, he was very good at controlling us through fear and intimidation. So none, we, none of us ever asked anyone for help the whole time we were out because we were terrified that if it didn't work, that we're just going to get like a hundred spankings or something. Yeah. And uh, every day it, we just survived one day at a time. And uh, there's even one time when like back at the first time when he gave me that 30 swats from Bertha, there was the equivalent of the, they gave me the equivalent of the damage of hundred swats by that one by four. I remember I had to go take a. He made me. I had to go take a shower off afterwards in order to wash the blood off of me. Right. And he walked into the bathroom, and the hotel bathroom, and saw just how black and bloody I was. And he cheered and everything was excited. And then he he got the other boys there and had them all look at me and say, "Hey, look what I did here!" You know, like yeah. like the, this is what happens when you do whatever he accused me of. What was the reaction from the boys in the home? versus the school were they more intimidated or were they did they laugh as well and just buy into well, it they laughed as well and buy into it but it wasn't because they found it amusing it was because they were so terrified of what would happen what he would do to them if yeah they did. i'm next so if all, i don't endorse it yeah and we all had to go through the thing with him of being accused of something and then him spanking us into admitting our guilt even though we're not guilty and it could be just about anything most of the time it was him accusing us of lying when we weren't lying or, or maybe lying about something. And it was just, it, it, because he, there was times where he really wanted to spank us, but we didn't do anything wrong. He'd get frustrated. So he'd just make stuff up so mm. he could spank us more. And, and were there uh, any other staff or anything or was it just him? It was just him. There, there were actually some deacons in that church, but Prado Baptist Church, by the time I left, he changed the name of the church to Brewster Baptist Church. And uh, there was a couple deacons in there, but he didn't let him control anything. He was voted into that church. And uh, those deacons eventually left because of just the nonsense that was going on there. Yeah. And, he uh, looks, he looks so familiar. I just, I just searched yeah. him while you were talking and, and yeah. I'm trying to place why he looks familiar, but I, it, so, so you were, you were talking about, you know, being in the boys home and then them kind of, you know, they, they, 
they would verbally approve of the culture because they didn't want to stir anything up. And then we went into the staff. Yeah. There were some deacons involved. But what? Um, I'm trying to think where to go back into it. I guess I'll ask what did you ever, did you feel like you had any ability to go to anyone who held him accountable or was it? Oh no. Well, at the, you gotta understand at this point uh, with me being 16, I've been in the IFB movement since I was five years old. Right. So I, I may have not been brainwashed into believing the doctrine and stuff, but I was brainwashed into believing that uh, these guys have so much power that there's absolutely nothing I can do. Mm that the thought of going to the police never occurred to me because I felt that I was brainwashed into believing that the police wouldn't help me, that they would just ask the pastor word over me because everyone else did. And, uh, Oh, if I only knew what I knew back then, uh, but when I was in the boys home, there is something that I want to say is that more times than I can count pastor Reeves, he took every one of us boys to the side one, one at a time. It was like a ritual of his that it was almost like a rite of passage that every boy in the boys' home had to go through. Or Pastor, or, or Pastor Reeves would have a private conversation with us and tell, and he would threaten us and tell us that if we ever get out of the boys' home, that if we ever try to expose him, that, and he used the words, he said, if you ever try to expose me, he says, you'll be, this. he says, this is how I take care of my family. He says, you would you would not just be threatening my ministry. You'd be threatening my family and man mm. will protect his family. And uh, he said that if you ever do try to expose me, I will find you and I will kill you. Mm. And he made it abundant. He went so far of his way to make it abundantly clear that there was no misunderstanding that he would kill us if we ever tried to expose him. And because of that, when I got out of the boys home, I was 17 by the time I got out of, got out of the boys home, it took me 11 years to finally muster up the courage to actually start openly speaking about what happened, what happened to the boys. In other words, it took me 11 years to muster up the courage to pick up the phone and call the police and ask mm-hmm. them, how do I report this crime? And, uh, but what the, the tipping point that really caused me to actually finally call the police and do that was when Jack Scott got busted for doing what he did. Right. And he went to jail and that's, that guy is like the top of the food chain as far as the social status is concerned. I'm thinking, well, if if Scott can fall, anybody can fall. And what I did is that I I called the equivalent of the police department in Brewster, Nebraska. And Brewster is a really small town. It's like when I was there, the population was 21, including us boys. And, Mm -hmm. and they, so, but I talked to the police officers there and I found out that the church didn't exist and the boys home didn't exist anymore. And then I did some digging and I found out that Pastor Reese is now a pastor of North Platte Baptist Church in North Platte, Nebraska. And I found out, it took me years to figure out why, what happened. I, I found out just a few months ago uh, from someone whose name I won't mention that she, because she wanted me to not tell anyone that she told me this, that what happened is that somehow he got busted for the abuse he was given to the boys and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that children was taken away from him by child services and uh, something happened. He managed to get it back, get him back. But by the time the dust settled, he was pastoring a church in North Platte, Nebraska. Now, I don't know if he started that church in North Platte from scratch or if he took it over like it did in Brewster, right. uh, but he doesn't have a boys home anymore, but he is 
he does have a, I guess the town he's in is big enough to where he's got his own bus ministry. He's got like a whole school bus. Right. And uh, he also has his own Bible college that he started and he only has one student, the son. <laughs> yeah. I just saw his son's Twitter graduated yeah. from North Platte. I've seen, I've seen him on Twitter. That's where I'm recognizing him. And he's involved with the bus conference, Bus Them In which some of the guys involved in that are a little sketchy as well. Um, yeah, yeah, he was, he was, he had, he's got two sons and two daughters. I can't remember. I only remember the name of his daughter, which is Hope. And one of his sons, his name is Buddy. But I don't know if that's the older one, or the younger one, but I do remember that when I was in the boys, the younger one was only five. And what's interesting is that the time when he had that two by six made, he mm-hmm. wanted to make a smaller paddle for, for his children that was carved out of a, a two by four. Mm-hmm. They still had like quarter inch, whole inch holes drilled in it and he used that to spank his, his kids with. I, I do find it interesting that he used the smaller one, which was still made out of a two by four. He used that for his yeah. kids, but he used a two by six press. And well, at the same time, trying to brainwash us and say that, that he is our family now, that our mom and dad is no longer mom or dad. He is our dad. Jeez. And he, he uh, basically, his agenda was to get us in the boys' home for a year, a one-year commitment, and then after that year, trick somehow manipulate the parents and let us be there for another year, and then but when we turn 18, then he would brainwash us into staying there out of our own free will as staff members, and mm-hmm. basically he would turn us into lifers, and that's what his agenda was. He claimed that he was he claimed that he was trying to rehabilitate us, but in reality, he was actually. Uh, I guess, grooming us to be leaders in his church. And uh, by the time I left, one guy named Josh Welch, he did turn 18 during the first year I was there. And oh, I was only there for like a year and two months, but he, he turned 18 and uh, he ended up getting a job at McDonald's. And that's how he took care of himself. And Pastor Reese made him stay at some building owned by the church and made him pay rent. But he still smacked him around and kicked him in the balls wherever he wanted, but he just didn't spank him. But he still talked down to him and humiliated every chance he could. And so I guess he was grooming us into being lifelong lap dogs or something. But yeah, yeah that's how Pastor Reese was. And there's a million more horror stories I can tell you about what he did to us. And, but I can tell you one, one thing that I forgot to mention. You probably read it on Facebook. Is, uh, there was one time when uh, Pat went back when I was with Pastor Alley that I was in a, a counseling session. It was me, him, and my mom. And where he, it was just another one of those counseling sessions where he's going to lecture me a lot and spank me over something and tell me how bad I am. And during that, one of the things he did as an illustration is that he told, he told me about how they used to stone kids back in the day in the Old Testament days for being rebellious. And he flat out told me to my face, looked me in my eyes and told me that the laws of the country that we live in is the only thing that keeps him from doing that to me. Mm-hmm. And so I looked back at him and I said, and just out of shock, I'm saying, so you're telling me that you would kill me if you'd get away with it? And he said, yes. And, and he said, it would be justified. That's what the Bible teaches. You know, and my mom was right there and she was just as zombified as ever, as far as, you know, letting him do her thinking for her, that she didn't see anything wrong with it. And I was the only one thinking like, this is crazy, yeah. you know? And, but yeah, that's just, that's kind of in a nutshell what I dealt with with Pastor Ali and Pastor Reeves. But yeah, even then I was, I actually like for the first four years after I got out of the boys home, 
I was so mad at God and everything that I actually got into witchcraft because it's like I wanted to get away from Christianity and I wanted to get away from anything that had to do with God or the Bible or anything, but I still had like this need to develop spiritually. So right. I went towards Wicca because it was like a it was like a religion, but it wasn't a religion. It was a way for me to explore spirituality without believing in a God. And was there some motivation too of knowing that like yeah that it is so opposite of what i was in that it would kind of was there some yeah. part of you in that in that yeah. i say rebellious but don't take it the wrong way but in that like reaction to the movement did you feel like oh this will really this would really piss him off if i went this direction oh uh, no um actually not uh i did have a lot of better i did during those four years i did go through phase where i was absolutely consumed by bitterness and hate mm-hmm. but i didn't do that out of spite it was just that because of the the brainwashing of the need to be spiritual with the IFB movement, even though I walked away from Christianity and everything, and when I got out of the boys' home, my mom finally gave up trying to convert me, so I was finally able free to do my own thing, be myself. Right. That, that, but I had a need to grow spiritually, you know, that, that there had to be something more than this physical world. And but I had an uncle who was the only family member who didn't treat me like a piece of crap the whole time, didn't care what I believed. And uh, he happened to be what's called a collective witch, and uh, which is basically someone who kind of keeps an open mind to all spiritual possibilities. And okay. like he will learn just as much about Buddhism as he would about Wicca, as he would about Sikhism, as he would about Christianity, just learning everything. And uh, so he he was only influenced me into getting into witchcraft. And I I was a full blown Wicca for about four years, and then suddenly, without realizing it, I still had a lot of IFB brainwashing still in my head. And I started having like this need, this drawing to go back to read the Bible. So mm-hmm. I started reading the Bible again, and it was like really affecting me. And what was going on is that the IFB brainwashing was kicking in again. I didn't realize it. It was like, because yeah. now it's like, by this time, I'm, I'm like 21. And I'm, I was at Job Corps at the time because I was homeless, and I wanted to learn a trade. And I went to Job Corps to learn how to weld. I wasn't in any, any legal trouble. I just wanted to learn a trade and didn't have any money. And uh, which like right now I make 21 hour as a welder for Caterpillar now, thanks to Job Corps. And, uh, but at the time I was, I was like, I need to start reading the Bible. And I started reading it and it changed me. And I, I converted to Christianity in 2007. And uh, what happened is that during that time, there was a summer break at Job Corps. So I took some money I made and I, so I was a part-time firefighter for Mammoth Cave National Park. And uh, when I was going to Job Corps, so I took some money I made and I got a ticket and visited my sister in Denver and she was a staff member at Cornerstone Baptist Church at this time. And I, by the time I visited Denver at 2007, I already went through the learning process of how destructive bitterness can be and hatred can be. So I, I actually hung out with Pastor Alley for a day and just made peace with him. And it was one of those things where it's like, I don't agree with what you do, but we can't be, and we got to find a way to coexist. You know, there's, because being at war with each other is not productive. And, uh, and so him and I made peace. And I just let, let him know that I forgive him, even though he doesn't think what he did is wrong. Right. And What was his reaction to that? Well, at the time, he did something that really shocked me. He actually started crying. And, you know, with tears, he told me that he was sorry for all the things he did. That, mm. And he, really, he admitted that he screwed up. And uh, I don't remember the exact words that he said, but it was, that was pretty much the gist of it. Hmm. And when he did that, I saw that as an opportunity to make peace with him, you know, and because 
you know the old saying, bitterness destroys its own container? Yeah. Uh, well, bitterness leads to hate, and hate has the potential to transform you to the very person of things you hate. Mm-hmm. And I was so afraid of becoming just like them that I was obsessed. I became obsessed with trying to forgive people that wronged me so that I'm not burdened down by that so mm-hmm. that I can be free to be myself and not turn into the people that abuse me. And uh, so him and I made peace, but I never made peace with Pastor Reese because Pastor Reese will never admit that he's wrong. And, uh, but it just so happened that I was invited to go to a youth conference up in Hammond, Indiana at, in 2007. And that, and so I started being at that conference again. And, you know, when you go to a big Baptist conference like that, it just, it, it, it's almost like they're using the force to grab your mind and yeah. <laughs> make you believe. It, so it it's, all a, it's a big sales. It's a big sales conference, yeah. basically. Yeah. And I bought into all of it because I was like, I spent four years uh, exploring witchcraft and everything and spirituality and paranormal stuff that I kind of realized that most of it's a bunch of bull crap. <laughs> and yeah. uh, uh, 80 plus, 80% plus of witchcraft really is a bunch of nonsense. It's just, mathematics and psychology and uh but and but what i just that's when i finally got brainwashed and converted to ifb hmm. was when that happened but even then i wasn't like all the way all the standards ifb i was like okay i'm gonna be my own ifb so i don't turn into pastor alley pastor Reeves. and uh so for the next 10 years i was a christian for the next 10 years and uh, i ended up because i still was i think outside the box kind of person Every independent funnel Baptist church I went to, it was a cycle where I was there for like a year. I would get involved in everything, like bus ministries and everything. Mm. I soul winning and stuff. That, But after a while, they would start to shun me once they realized they couldn't clone me. Right. And then I would just go to another Baptist, independent Baptist church, and the cycle would start all over again. And after seven, after seven years, after several years of that, I got fed up with it and I just gave up with IFB movement. So I stopped being IFB, but then I was still a Christian. Right. And then I started going to like uh, non-denominational churches and everything. And uh, those people, they weren't shunning if you weren't just like them, but you couldn't really do anything. And a lot of these non-denominational churches, other than go to the, attend the praise and worship service and, you know, read your Bible. But if you so much as actually sat down and read your Bible, know what it says, it's like you know more than almost everyone there because no one reads their Bible. Right. <laughs> and uh, it's like I, then I experienced two extremes. You got uh, the extreme of independent fundamental Baptist people that just there are so all these standards and all this Bible knowledge and all these rules to try to get for the quote unquote get closer to God. And then you've got the other extreme, a lot of other churches where they're so laid back that they don't stand for anything at all. Yeah, and that's and, just uh, like social gathering. So it doesn't yeah, make sense yeah. if you if you're going to be a part of a religion, you know, it, it doesn't yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah, and by this time though, I mean, when I was 17, I got into the witchcraft and everything. I also got very influenced by the gothic and metalhead subcultures that I ended up having a habit that I still have to this day, where I'm like always dressed in black and you know, less than heavy metal and all that stuff. But I just if just feel like the lyrics get me. Like like I'm a huge fan of Marilyn Manson. Mm-hmm. But it's because he grew up, he he was actually in a religious, like a Christian school at mm-hmm. one time, believe it or not. And he he had some traumatic events and he saw the bull crap in Christianity and he left. And uh, then he was heavily persecuted by Christians during his career as a musician right. and a singer. And that 
a lot of his lyrics reflected that. So I related a lot to him <laughs> and yeah. uh, that's how I really got into rock and roll and stuff. And, uh, but yeah, that's, but the point I was making there is that after 10 years, what happened is that the last four years of the 10 years of me being a Christian, I, I was still being treated like an outcast, but it was mainly because of me being all black and skulls and chains and stuff more than it was uh, anything else. And I just wouldn't wear a tie. You didn't look the part. Yeah. And it's like, there, (laughs) there's one time and that I I finally, my stepdad tried this whole time, uh, was like trying to tell me, he's like, Paul, you need to go to a biker church. You need to go to a biker church. You'll fit right in. (laughs) I'm like, why? I don't even ride. He's like, just do it. So I found me a biker church near Atlanta, Georgia, uh, because I live in Georgia right now. And and it's like, it was so weird. I went to that church and I blended in. I never blend in anywhere. Yeah. Not with my Asperger's, not with my black t-shirts and skulls. I went in there and everyone's just as messed up as me. And yeah. They're all getting along and it was great. You know, and it, <laughs> they were like, they were taking like heavy metal songs and even other worldly songs like Purple Rain. And they were like change the lyrics and turn into worship music. And it was just so cool. And I just so related to all these bikers. So I, I found me a biker church in Gainesville. And for four years, I was in a motorcycle ministry. And it had a lot of the same rules you would have in a motorcycle club where I went through prospect phase. And they taught me how to ride. That got me a motorcycle. I went through two motorcycles. With them uh-huh. when I was with them. And we, we rode all the way down to, we even went down to Florida for bike week. And we rode everywhere. When we rode, we rode. We, we didn't pussyfoot around you know we were talking to like handlebar to handlebar and formation perfect formation going triple digits down the highway mm. and uh that's how we rode and uh it was at the first year was like the greatest time of my life it's like finally i could be a christian i could serve god because i was brainwashed to think i was called to serve the ministry but when you had a family serve, <laughs> yeah yeah and uh you know the whole point of the ministry is that it was more than just motorcycle ministry it was a brotherhood Right. And, uh, and I, I immediately got sucked into that because I grew up my whole life being betrayed by the church family and being betrayed by my own family that it's like, that just sort of sucked me in. And, but I got really in deep with it and, but I ended up leaving them two years ago. But what happened is that at the time I didn't know anything about the biker culture that that's like a whole other world, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, sure, you got a lot of people ride motorcycles from all walks of life, but then there's like the real hardcore biker world where most of them are combat veterans. And they, so the whole brotherhood aspect actually comes from the fact that they missed the brotherhood they had when they was in the military. So they kind of make their own brotherhood. And there's a lot of biker groups out there that are some damn decent people, but there's a lot of them out there that are straight up gangs. And it's really hard to tell them apart because they're almost all alike. <laughs> and right. uh, so there, I mean, there's, you got motorcycle clubs that uh, are actually motorcycle clubs. Like you got one that's called uh, bikers against child abuse. You know, they're, they're really good people. They're rough people, but they they actually do a lot of good, but then right. you got, and uh, they're a motorcycle club, but then you got other motorcycle clubs that are motorcycle gangs. Like, so you got there, there's the diversity, like some of them are brotherhoods and some are actual families. <laughs> Others are gangs slash businesses, and if you ever call one of them a gang, is you, you're you're in hot water, you know. <laughs> sure. And, uh, but they, I've actually talked to a few of them, gotten to know a few of them personally. There aren't some motorcycle gangs, and they actually flat out admitted me that it's a gang though, but it's considered disrespectful if you say it. Right. So they call it a club, but 
what happened is that, you know, how in a lot of churches, whether it's a Baptist church or other churches, the way that they go about corrupting is, is that they usually corrupt with some kind of social club or a cult or whatever. Right. You know, in a motorcycle ministry, it's going to get corrupted anyway because it's run by people. That the way that they go about corrupting is that a motorcycle ministry will start off as a biker ministry and a street ministry, but then it'll corrupt into a wannabe motorcycle Sons of Anarchy club. And uh, that's what happened is that I was with, and I'm not afraid to name names on these people either. I'm talking about the Soldiers of Truth in Gainesville, Georgia. And when I was with them, there was a motorcycle ministry and there was a brotherhood. But as time went on, it corrupted into a wannabe biker game. It went hmm. from, and it went from the Soldiers of Truth to the Soldiers of whatever the leaders said is the truth. Right. And uh, because... I don't care who you are, what walk of life you come from, what you believe, what you don't believe. You give any human being too much power and not enough accountability, it's going to lead to corruption. It's just right. human nature, you know, and that's what happened with them. And I basically, what caused me to leave is that I got cussed out and threatened by them. And it was the first mm. time I ever got cussed out by church leadership. And Yeah, that <laughs> feels weird. Out and threatened and intimidated by them for about two, three hours straight because I refused to cover up a felony that one of the members committed. Right. And what it was is that one of their members who he attacked someone with a machete over a matter of $20 and he attacked a civilian with a machete. In the biker world, when you call someone a civilian, that means someone that it's not, who's not part of a motorcycle club or not part of the biker world. Right. And, uh, but he attacked a civilian with over a matter of $20 and I stopped it. And uh, in my mind, I'm like, you're serving in a ministry. You ought to know better than this. So my first reaction is I called the police and I had that dude arrested. Mm. You know? And next thing you know, I'm being called a traitor and everything. And they're saying, we don't call the police. We call family. And that would make perfect sense if I was in a motorcycle club because motorcycle clubs, they police themselves because they are a gang, you know, and the last thing they want to do is get bring heat from the police. So they police themselves. But they were, they, that's when I realized they adopted that, that biker gang mentality. And that's when I realized that I'm in another gang. I mean, I'm in another religious cult yeah. <laughs> because they're all doing these horrible, they're, they're, you know, doing this stuff in the name of Jesus. Yeah. And it's like, once I realized it was a gang, I couldn't, and a, and a cult, I couldn't get out fast enough. And man, I was so, I was more angry at myself than I was them. Cause it's like, how can I let myself get involved in another cult after all this stuff I've been through? I already survived two other cults right. as far as I'm concerned. You got the Reeves, you got the IFB cult, and then you got the Reeves cult, which is like a cult within the cult. You right. know, and uh, it's like, man, and it's like, I had a I had a girlfriend at the time, and she was trying to t warn me. She warned me. Her name's Nikki. She warned me that the Soldier of Truth is a cult because she got mm. to know some of them, and uh, I didn't listen to her. Hmm. And I thought she was just pulling me, trying to pull me away from him. And no. uh, I broke up with her while having an engagement ring in my wallet. I was about ready to propose to her. That's how close and I, her and I were getting. We were already talking about marriage. And I was put in a position where I was either, either choosing her or the club. And even though it was a motorcycle ministry, we referred to it as a club. And so it's like, these are my brothers. You know, these, and the term brother has a whole different meaning in the biker world. When you call someone brother, that means you're willing to step in front of a bullet for them, literally. Mm -hmm. And uh, it uh, was like, these are my brothers. They're the only people that's ever been loyal to me in my life. I'm not choosing anyone over, you know. So they, in a way, they 
they brainwashed me into pushing away someone that I would be married to by now if it wasn't hmm. for them. And, and it just so happens like, man, she was right. It is a cult, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, by then the bridges are burned so bad. I can never go back to her. But, hmm. and that's when it's like, okay, I, I've did, I've explored just about every independent funnel Baptist church I could find. They're all the same. I've explored a lot of other churches that are the same, just in the other extreme. Right. And then I tried this one in the middle and it's like, they're just as bad too. And I was like, it's like, I realized the problem isn't, and it, it, the problem isn't IFBs. The problem isn't what type of Christian you are. The problem is people. Is that, yeah. is that the way that churches are and, and a lot of religions are structured is that it creates a system in which you give human beings too much power and mm. too much influence and not enough accountability that leads to corruption and it's like right. what caused me to finally become uh an atheist is that the bible teaches you to judge people by their fruit not by their words right and i was really like i finally got i finally dawned on me he's like what if i try to judge god by his fruit you know it's like all i've ever known when it comes to a lot of these any ministry leader i've ever known turned out to be a corrupted piece of crap so it's like god where's your fruit you know all I see is bad fruit. Bad fruit can't come from a good tree. So this tree must be bad. It must be bullshit. And so I will, I haven't darkened the door of a church ever since, except for when my stepdad passed away last year and I went to his church at a funeral. Mm. I think that's the only time I went to church ever since. And now it's like, but now they may or be, there may be a God, there may not be a God. And like I said before, I'll be just as excited to find out there is one if there ain't, because you're still discovering something pretty huge. Yeah. You know? So it's like I'm an atheist, but I keep an open mind. Right. And because when you don't keep an open mind, you miss out. You can miss out on a discovery. You know. Yeah. And but I'm just trying to figure out what to do with my life now. But I'm a I'm a successful welder. You know. So I got a good job. And you're probably wondering what this is right here. You probably see a spaceship or whatever. Yeah. But that's a that's a CGI rendering of a real spaceship that's being built in Texas right now. I don't know if you ever heard of SpaceX. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. That's Elon yeah. Musk's um, yeah. thing, right? Yeah. And, uh, I was just trying to figure out what I did, what to do in my life once I got out of religion completely. And uh, it's like, I want to do something, you know, that's bigger than myself, you know. Right. And, uh, when I found out about SpaceX, about them building starships and stuff, and I'm like, you know what? That's something that's worth getting involved in. So right. now I'm in a long process of just trying to get into college. Okay. And, uh, and uh, I'll probably start college later on this year, but I don't know what else to say. I've done talk to you all <laughs> an hour and a half. No, no. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, no, it was, I wanted to, I wanted you to be able to go through the entire story and, and share. And, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I feel, you know, it's a strange, it's just a strange thing to, because you, you hear these stories and you think like, there's so much of me that just wants to say, this isn't right. You know what I mean? This isn't true. This isn't. And, you know, and the sad thing is, is that you sit down with people from all over the country who share these experiences. And, yeah. you know, like you said, it's, it's cloning themselves. You have all these clones of these horrible, abusive ministries that, you know, when, when I look at when I look at the Bible and then I look at what they're doing to people and I'm like, how do you go from, you know, 
Jesus saying your two most important things were to love God and love others to, you know, the treatment of women, the treatment of kids, you know, it's, it's so backwards. And, and there's so many, the sad thing is, is that there's still that kind of story happening, you know, all over. And so I think, I think it's important to, to hear all these perspectives, to hear your story in its full entirety. I think it's important to name names. And I think, I think the reason this has been going on for so long is no one wants to name names, you know, the people yeah. who, the people who have been abused and I can't even imagine, you know, even half the things that you mentioned, you know, right. I, I understand why they want to leave, not talk about it, not bring it up. And yeah. then, you know, the people who, you know, like myself, my background, I, I grew up in a lighter version of it, but I, I was one degree away from a lot of really bad situations. And, you know, for me, it would be easy for me to just step away. And some of my friends have, they've stepped away and said, I made it through. I didn't, nothing happened to me. I'm out. And, you know, for me, I just can't justify that. And I don't know this, just doing this is closure in a lot of ways. It's, it's, it's knowing that I don't have a part in the legacy of letting abuse continue. And, you know, I can try to do my best to kind of put a spotlight on it. And I appreciate you doing the same. And that, that, that means a lot to, to me, but I think more importantly, it means a lot to people who are in similar situations and are, and on that note, just one last question for you is if you could say one thing to someone who's sitting in the pews of an abusive IFB ministry, who's scared to leave is, is maybe not even scared to leave someone who, just anyone sitting in the pew of an abusive IFB ministry, what would you say to them? Well, I think the hardest lesson that I've learned, and I'm kind of kicking myself that I haven't said it yet, but the hardest lesson that I've learned in my experience was, I think was also the biggest mistake I've made was mm-hmm. spending 11 years mustering up the courage to pick up the phone and call the police. Right. Because what happened is that I filed a police report. There is a case there is a invest there is a case at North Platte Police Department that I opened up where I made a statement and gave them all kinds of information and even a link to my blog and stuff and told them my story and I found out that even if I had concrete proof the pastorese did what he did, he still wouldn't be charged. But because there's this thing called the statute of limitations. Right. And if it's a sexual crime, then uh, there isn't really a statute of limitations that I'm aware of. But when it comes to the, he, Pastor Reeves and Pastor Ellie was never sexual with me, right. but uh, it was just violence and intimidation. But because of that, he's protected by statute limitations. So there's no way that he'll ever be charged. There's no way I'll ever get justice for what Pastor Ellie and Pastor Reeves did to me and what they've done to other people. So what I, I think the biggest advice I could give to anyone is that if they ever, if they're in a situation that, if they're going through a situation that I went through, to pick up the phone and call the police. Mm. And uh, because I found out through uh, a detective that if let's just say you're in a situation and you got spanked to the point of being black and bloody and you were to call the police right then, make a statement, give them pictures and they, that all goes into permanent record. And uh, even if uh, there's no charges filed and you said, let's just say you can intimidate it into not testifying because that's what it ultimately leads to is testifying in court. Right. If, if you don't testify like 10 or 15 years later, you got the courage to finally testify. 
you can actually do it. And since you originally reported the crime mm. within the statute of limitations, you can still open up the case. Okay. And there's uh, one kid out there. Um, I hope that since this goes on the internet, maybe yeah. this will reach a kid that I've been trying to track down for going on 10 years now mm. is that sometime after I left the boys home, there was a kid that did have the courage to pick up the phone and call the police over the abuse he was receiving. And he managed to file a police report within the statute of limitations. I don't know who this kid's name is. I don't know what state he's from, but all I know is that he was sent back home. And as a result, he, he couldn't physically show up to court to testify and where he's got away with, with what he did to him. But if I ever find that kid, I would let him know that if he was to go back and say, Hey, I'm can testify now. He could testify now mm. and put where he's behind bars. But I would love to find him someday. I would love to yeah. find the other boys. I hope this finds, yeah. I hope this video finds him and he, and he yeah. finds that out. And, um, uh, that kid's a hero to me. Is <laughs> he have yeah. more courage than the rest of us? Dude. Well, and it's, but, and it's a thing of, yeah. you know, I just want to add to what you said. And I think you, your advice is spot on, but uh, if yeah. you if you feel there are probably a lot of people and you said this was even your case is that you don't even see that as an option in the middle of it and yeah. you know i'd like to believe you know this is obviously we don't know who's going to listen to this we don't know how many hits this interview will get or or so on and so forth but i i would like to believe that there will be some listening to this who are 13 or 14 and listening to something they're not supposed to and there are some people in here who you know, are currently in a ministry where they feel like they have to be silent and maybe, you know, maybe someone tuned into this wanting to be angry that someone's talking bad about their denomination, but I hope they understand that, you know, I understand that there's a lot of innocent people in really bad situations. And so if you're listening to this and you are in a ministry like that, or you do resonate with any form of abuse that's been mentioned or, or even something different, definitely go if you go to the police and you do report it it can be dealt with and the the church's power is what you give them and even 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 as a kid even if it's something that you feel completely powerless about that that is an option and if you don't even know where to start i mean feel free to send a message and i can try to connect you with someone who can help you um, or get you in touch with someone who's been through a similar situation who can kind of walk you through it because the reason this keeps happening is because no one speaks up and no one names names and people want to either, you know, and I understand they want to survive. They want to move forward and continue on with their life and put it behind them. But I don't want to see this happen to another generation of kids, another generation of women. And so, I mean, obviously that's the reason we're doing this. So thank you so much, man, for, for sharing your story and for, I mean, like I said, I don't know that I would have the courage to talk about the stuff that you just talked about. So it means, it means a lot to me. And if anyone's listening to this and wants to connect with, connect with you, you have a Facebook group set up currently for IFB cult survivors. Can you, can you share a little bit about that and just how they can yeah. connect with you? Yeah. The, let me, there's uh, several different IFB groups okay. out there. Um, I just want to make sure I got that I say my name properly. Okay. Margaret's name properly here. The name of my group on Facebook, you'll see that the main picture is a picture of outer space, but uh, I just did that so that everyone can instantly recognize it. Um, right. 
but it's called IFB Cult Survivors. And in parentheses, it says atheists and theists equally welcome. And I say that a lot because there's a couple other IFB groups out there, support IFB survivor support groups out there that I won't name their names because I, I can't remember their names, but they, they claim to be a place for people to have a voice and stuff. And they do serve that function to a degree. But in reality, it's a place where they try to take these people and try to convert them to Christianity mm -hmm. and shun them. And there was a times where they, when they found out that I was an atheist, that they would get into arguments with me and about atheism. It's like, hey, I'm not here to debate atheism unless I am no. who I am. And, uh, and then uh, when I stand up for myself, then they threaten to kick me out of the group. Mm -hmm. So I just finally said, screw you guys, I'll start my own group. And that's why I got this. Here, that's why I put in parentheses, atheists and theists equally welcome, because I don't care if you're an atheist or if you're still an IFB or whatever, uh, you're just as welcome to share your religious right. or not religious opinions, you know, just as right. long as you respect each other. And, uh, and I, I appreciate that because yeah. that is something that's unfortunate is that, you know, and I even know I've had some people reach out to me about, you know, you know, just being careful about what, you know, and, and I'm just not here to endorse any one thing or another. I do have my own beliefs. You know, I am a Christian. I'm a Christian. I do, you know, I follow Christ, but I don't, the purpose of this is to tell stories of abuse within a, what I believe to be a cult. And so, you know, abuse doesn't know denominational barriers or things like yeah. that. This just happens to be the corner that I am familiar with and have experience in and to alienate there's been enough alienation over decades of this ministry. And so the place to not alienate is when people are coming out with survivor stories coming out of abusive situations. And, and I appreciate you creating a, a place that's safe for both. I know <laughs> obviously we just had a, a very long conversation. Um, and probably if we dug into all of our ideas of the world would probably have some disagreements, but I think we agree that, you know, there's just some areas that we can all come together and say that's wrong and needs to stop. And I appreciate you kind of leading a charge in that, in uh, in this way. So I appreciate it. And there is one thing I, I would like to share. Yeah, um, no problem. Let me pull it up here. If anyone wants to uh, read my blog that contains my story with Pastor Allen Pastories, and also another lady who named is uh, Emily Romero. She went to the uh, Bible College of Pastories runs. Uh, her story's on there too. And uh, I'm not a professional blogger. I don't know much about blogs. So you would have to like scroll all the way down and start at the bottom to read, go from the bottom up, reading in chronological order. I don't know why it's like that, but uh, it's called ifbcultsurvivor.home.blog. And uh, I, I know you already read the story, but anyone else is interested in more details on that. And there is just the existence of this blog. I'm risking getting sued. And I've actually had someone hide behind a fake name and tw on Twitter who calls himself Man Mitty, who actually threatened to sue me and have me prosecuted if I s didn't stop telling uh, my story with Pastor Reeves. Mm -hmm. And I uh, went the whole thing where I actually called the police and I asked them, hey, what do I do about this? And then uh, they told me I need to talk to an attorney. And the police officer told me is that I need to ask this person, like, what law firm does he work at or whatever. And I tried to ask this guy, man, many, what his law firm is. And he just wouldn't tell me what his law firm was. And then, so I blocked him on Twitter and he, there's, Pastor Reese actually does go on alternate accounts and tries to intimidate people into silence. And I think some of his kids do, but that information is just speculation from 
there's a lot of other people. There's a whole community on Twitter, people speaking against Pastor Reeves. Mm-hmm. Just look up fake Bill Reeves or fake, fake Bill Reeves on Twitter. And uh, they actually speak out against him. And uh, they can tell you some stories about how Pastor Reeves and maybe some people that work for him has mm-hmm. tried to threaten people on, over Twitter to try to silence him. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, he's he's exposed so much light on Pastor Reeves that he, he's caused Pastor Reeves to make it to where you can't, nobody can see anything on his church's Twitter account unless he approves you. <laughs> and so, but there's some information to share there as well. If you have any other questions, let me know. This is the first time you ever doing an interview. So if you, like I say, if you've got any other questions, please message me. I'll awesome. do the best I can to answer them. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And yeah, anybody listening, I'll put some links in the show notes so people can can connect with you and just click over to it. But really appreciate you sitting down and sharing your story and look forward to, to seeing the response to this one for sure. Hey guys, thank you so, so much for listening to this episode. I want to just echo what Paul said at the end of the interview. If you are currently experiencing or know someone who is experiencing abuse in the church, whether it's physical, sexual, or even mental abuse, you need to report it. The reason that this keeps happening is because people remain silent. So if you see abuse of any kind, please contact the authorities. And lastly, if you are a survivor of abuse and you're experiencing negative thoughts, please realize you are not alone. Reach out for help as soon as possible. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to this first episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I hope that Paul's story was helpful to you, and I hope that you'll share it with someone who could use it. All right, guys, thank you. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.